may seem a little strange. I'm standing up here with some flowers and a gift, but they are for some very special people. So if I can invite Pastor Bacchus and Helen up here, please, for a moment. Don't you love surprises? <laughs> First, we're going to give those flowers to you. You're very welcome. And we're going to have you open that up momentarily. But I, I just wanted to say a few words. Life is a series of journeys, isn't it? And along your journey was to stop along the way here and serve this church with great love. And we're so grateful that you had part of your journey of life here with us. And we wanted to wish you well and our love because they're starting a new journey. They will be moving soon and um, moving to another area. So I didn't know if you want to just say a couple words. Again, thank you for putting us on the spot. Um, maybe just, you know, the words being, uh, just let, let uh, tell the congregation for some that may not know where you're going to be going, moving to. Thank you, Melissa. It's uh, in many ways like coming home. Sorry, not your family, those of you who came here. But uh, Downers Grove is a very, very big part of our lives. We were here for 11 years and uh, it's good to come here. It's good to be here. A lot of memories, a lot of familiar faces, and uh, some of us are getting older together. And, uh, but uh, Pastor Backus decided it's time to move. <laughs> I'll blame it on him. And uh, if you ask him, he still has no answer because the North Shore Church family is still asking him for an answer. But um, we are going to go to sunny Florida. A little too hot for us, but the draw is that my parents are there. And they have gotten to where they need some help. To where they need some help. And so that is our focus for right now. And praying that God will continue to lead us and guide us. Ministry never ends. Serving God never ends. Reaching out to people never ends. So we know that he has a place for us. And we know that our lives will continue to be worthwhile and hopeful. And uh, helpful. And uh, so just... Uh, Keep us in prayer. We won't ever forget Downers Grove. I know there are a few new faces. There are some new faces. But I look around and I see the baptistry. I see the floral arrangement. I see Shirley from years ago. I see Chuck, even though he's not here. A lot of wonderful memories. Lots of you are family. God bless you. And thank you for putting me on the spot. And one more tiny little thing, and then we'll move on with our program. We just wanted you to share for the folks that are sitting in the audience and can't see what you have, have in there. I'll just pull that out. 
something fun, 365 promises from God's word for color. So maybe become a fan of coloring. And then uh, we have just a nice plaque here. Um, Retirement, may God bless all your days ahead with his peace and fulfilling purpose for all that you do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now we'll enjoy your sermon. (laughs) It's good to be here. I can't believe how good those pipes look. I know those who have been those who are here still, those years I was here, will know what I mean. Looking great. And you look better, actually, than the pipes. You do. Good to be here. We often talk about this place, you know, um, unforgettable memories. It was a great place to do ministry. We... We'll miss the Chicagoland area. We will miss all the people. I told someone, I don't mind taking a break from the busy life of ministry, but leaving the ones we have grown to love and to cherish and to do ministry with will be very, very difficult. Very difficult. Over the years, I have had the privilege to take care of souls and also to take care of words. It's our job description as pastors, a lot of other things on the list, but to take care of souls and to take care of words. Taking care of souls means taking care of words. The word. That is where the power is. The word. It's so important that we say the right things to each other. And more important, that we proclaim the word. The word of God. I had the privilege to experience over the years, over 35 years of ministry, the retirement of some words in gathering. This was the last place I did in gathering, the North Shore Church. Tolerance. Respect seems as if those words have retired these days. I've had the opportunity to introduce new words like saved. We don't often say that word among Adventists, do we? Are you saved? We do now. Do you have the assurance of salvation? Are you saved? That's been a new word over the years. Anointing. Anointing by the Spirit. 
That's a little too charismatic for Adventists, but it's a word that we share these days. Do you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit? I've been called upon to pronounce some words. Not big words like hermeneutics or exegesis, but words like God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, sin. And there is an important word that I want to share today, and that's in our passage, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. It goes like this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Beautiful verse. Temptation. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. This understanding, I believe, gives us some strength, some measure of victory. It is meant to rescue us from despair, from the despairing weakness that says, what I am struggling with is unique to me. Other people don't face this. This is just me. Paul says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, to mankind. The struggle is common. And the ground of temptation has always been the same for you and for me. Am I willing to do God's will? Do I trust him enough to follow him, to be obedient to his word? Or do I take things in my own hands and do what I want? That's what the struggle is. That's what is so common about temptation. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's just us. It's us together. We are together. The apostle says, what you are struggling with is common. Of course, there are some things that we all can relate to. How can you, in this society, as a man, as a woman, as a young person, with all the sexual images all around, with the glitter and styles and fashions and music, and not be tempted That's part of the commonness that we share. How can you be a leader in today's world and not be tempted to sacrifice people for power and position? How can you not be tempted? Or in management and not be tempted to sacrifice integrity for success? Those things we are commonly tempted by. Or a young person today on the Sabbath, how could you not be tempted to turn on those 
cell phones and those devices and listen to other things, check on the scores or the games or watch something that is not appropriate for the Sabbath. How could you not be? The temptations you and I face are common to man, to mankind. And I have to be fair to the words here. The word in no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It's not just saying that the temptation we face is common among us, but it's common in us. Sin is more than an act. Sin is a condition. We all faced with this ingrained thing that, that, that we call Sin and weaknesses and, and struggles common to man. It's actually one word in the Greek and it means human-like. No temptation has seized you that is not human-like. One of the benefits of moving, I haven't moved a whole lot. But um, when you're going through folders and stuff that you have, you discover some real good things that you didn't remember that you have. And uh, I was going through my files in, 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 the, in my file cabinet, and I came across a folder that says SIN, S-I-N. I kept a folder and sin, not my sin, of course. All those you forget. And in this uh, folder, there is an article that I had clipped and I stuck in there. And I thought I'll share some of it with you. It asks the questions, does a sin gene exist? Since all temptation is common, to us, it's human-like, does a sin gene exist? And it is written by a professor who was at Andrews during the years I was there, G.T. Yevor. He taught in the science department. Some of you might have taken classes from him. And this is what he asked. The all-pervasive nature of sin certainly suggests the genetic element. But this is what he says, but what if behavior was caused not by one, but by a combination of several factors, some of which were genetic? There is the thought, well, sin is genetic. It is in our DNA. I cannot control it. There's nothing I can do. But he says, Genes occupy only 2% of our chromosomes. The other 98% is non-gene material whose functions are not well understood. And so this is what he's saying. What if sinful behavior was caused not by one, but by a combination of several factors, some of which were genetic? He's not discounting that part. The genetic component would not coerce 
sinful behavior, but would merely predispose us to it, leaving us able to decide whether or not to sin. We may be predisposed to certain weaknesses. In certain families, you can see that, certain traits. Some of it could be learned behavior, but some of it is is ingrained, isn't it? And I think he's making a valid point. The genetic component would not coerce sinful behavior, but will merely predispose us to that behavior. But we still can make a choice not to sin. And he gives the example of selfishness. He says the sinful gene called selfishness, the promotion of self-interest above the needs of others. This sin can be described as a warped expression of self-preservation with our instinct for the sin of self-preservation as the genetic factor. All of us, God made us with the desire to to preserve self, to protect self. But that desire, because of sin and because of the fall, can become selfishness. But he's saying, here we have a true choice. We are not compelled to benefit ourselves every time we want to protect self and we want to preserve self. On this level, followers of the master are asked to practice self-denial for the sake of others. And that's the call to every Christian. Paul says, deny self. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Notice the struggle. Paul is saying, yes, the laws, the laws of God, they're there. I want to do good. I want to do what is right. But something is waging war within me, the law of sin within me. Self-preservation, the desire to follow my desires and and to protect myself and to reward myself and to follow my selfish desires. The law Paul refers to here may well be our ingrained selfishness, but with no sin gene, he says. Ingrained selfishness, but no sin gene. Although we are genetically programmed programmed to seek survival and comfort, we can control the extent to which we respond to our internal drives. We are not helpless pawns in the clutches of our genes. And in the culture today, I think he's making an important point. All of us have sexual desires. God has made us 
with desires. Do we have to just follow those desires like selfishness and other negative things? Or do we make choices when it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to following God's word and God's will? And Paul says, who can deliver me? Thanks be to God, he says. If we are helpless pawns, depending on our makeup and our genes, we'll be helpless. There'll be no statement like this. Thanks be to God, he can deliver me. There is a way out. There is a way of escape. Scripture says, there is no temptation taken that's not simply part of the fabric of being human. And that's not to rescue me from despair, but to rescue me from pride, but also to let me know, do not despair, because others are dealing with problems, temptations, sin. Forget the line that says, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Somebody knows. Somebody in this church knows your struggle. Somebody in my church at North Shore knows the struggle. Somebody around knows your struggle. No temptation. That is not common to man. What about the effects of temptation? We just talk about the commonness of temptation and the power of temptation. What about the effects of temptation? Verse 5 that you heard in the scripture said, God was not pleased with the Israelites. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. We can see the consequences of temptation when it is yielded to. Look at verses 8 to 10 of the passage. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. That's part of the freedom to sin. To say, if I follow it, it has terrible consequences. God tells us if he did not love, he would not warn. And so he warns us. This is where it will lead. It leads to death. It leads to horror. No temptation. You are faced with that is not common. No temptation that does not have power. And the effects when we give in. Severe consequences. But I'm here today to let you know that there is a way of escape. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's a marvelous promise. Whatever it is you're struggling with, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
against the simple human expression of the commonness of sin and the sovereign promise of God. I, he says, who created the universe and continue to uphold all things by the word of my power will not allow sin and temptation to be greater than you can bear. No matter if you think you're predisposed to certain weaknesses. No matter if you're predisposed to selfishness. Pride. Lust. God reveals a sovereign promise and a saving plan. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear so that you can stand up under it. We fight. These are the terms of human resistance. It's the idea that we fight. When last have you fought a temptation? Jesus In Hebrews 5, learned obedience by the things he suffered. When last have you struggled through a temptation and you've suffered through it? Literally suffered through a temptation. Jesus sweat drops of blood as he struggled with going against the Father's will. We give in so easily, so quickly. We don't know what that kind of struggle is. And Jesus sweat drops of blood, and he said, not as my will, but your will be done. It's not just a matter of fighting, it's fleeing. Verse 14 says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. That's part of the battle. If it's a problem for you, stay away from it. Proverbs 4.14 says, do not set your foot on the path of the wicked. Do not go near the path, but turn from it and go the other direction. With honesty and and rigor, look at your heart and say, is this temptation to me? Is this temptation to me? If it is, flee from it. Change the channel. Stay away from her. Stay away from him. Do what is necessary. Flee. You fight, but you flee. When was the last time you ran away from a temptation? Or have we become so comfortable in what we are doing that it is difficult, sin is so enjoyable. That thing is so much fun. Ronald Meredith in his book, Hurrying Big for Little Reasons, talks about one day he said he lived by a pond. And he said one evening he heard the sound of wild geese Flying across. And then he looked out over the pond because there were some 
that were always around, always there swimming around. And he was thinking, what if these that were there in the pond swimming, what if they, they hear this sound of the wild? What will happen? The urge to fly, to take their place in the sky for which God made them was sounding in their feathered breast, he said. But they never raised from the water. He said the matter had been settled long ago. The corn of the barnyard was too tempting. Now their desire to fly only made them uncomfortable. Temptation is always enjoyed at the price of losing the capacity for flight. We become too comfortable. Too comfortable. But the greatest strength of all comes from the sovereign grace of the promise of God. Oh, we can fight, yes. We can exercise our willpower and we can fight. We can flee. We can take flight. But verse 13 is so powerful It says, we can escape, and we can escape because of the Savior's love. Apart from that grace, we cannot fight sin. Apart from God's grace, knowing God's love, you and I could never win the battle. You and I could never be victorious in our struggle. I will have no strength to fight sin. And I want to remind you of what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. See how important it is to know the Lord and to know his love and his grace. We have peace with God. We are not at war with him anymore. You don't have to say anymore, well, it is God's fault. I don't know why he's allowing all these things to happen to me. You don't have to go into the blame game because having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. You're ushered into his presence. He takes you right into his presence. And every day of your life, You can live in the presence of God. We glory in our suffering. Glory in our suffering? Having been justified by faith, you glory in your suffering. We talk about having the assurance of salvation because we know our Lord. Then glory in your suffering. Oh, it wasn't easy. I went through a little problem recently. Was I supposed to glory in my suffering? 
Yes. And my church family there prayed for me. And did you know I had a pretty good attitude? I was carrying around a catheter bag. For a few weeks, I preached with it. I preached at the funeral with it. But having been justified by faith, I did not complain. We glory in our suffering. And you know what Paul says? We boast about our God. We boast, boast about our God. When was the last time you were boasting about God? Having been justified by faith, you boast about our God. And we wait in joyous hope for his return. My brothers and sisters, until I know God's salvation, that I am pardoned by the grace of God, I have no strength to fight sin. But when I know God, that he forgives me when I come to him in repentance, he releases me from the guilt of my sin, then, then the power to fight is there. When I know God's love, his love and care, when I know his grace, then the things around us do not tempt us as much. It's true. When I know his love, his love and grace, She took her two young sons to the zoo. And uh, as she bent over to fix the stroller, the two boys ran off. They ran ahead and they found a gap in the railing overlooking the lion's uh, den below. They found the gap and they went through. 25 to 30 feet down, there were the lions, and they yelled, Hey, Mom, we can see them. Well, she could see them, but the gap in the fences was too small for an adult to get through. What was she going to do? Do you know what she did? She got down on her knees, opened her arms, and said, Boys, Come get a hug. And they came. They scrambled down away from the danger. That's what our Savior does. With arms wide open, he says to you, come. No condemnation. Come, get a hug. Get a hug. I love you. In my grace, I will provide for you. It is that love that is the attraction from the things that will attack our souls. That love. That love.
in the face of temptation, see the Savior's love. See the Savior's love. Today, see the Savior's love. I thank you for loving us through 11 years. But more so helping us to know the Savior's love. It's been a wonderful, wonderful journey with you. As Melissa said so nicely, it's been a great journey. But it is the Savior's love that will see us through to the kingdom. To the kingdom. See you there in the kingdom. Thank you for understanding a lot, for giving us a way out. We recognize the evils that are around us. Bombarded every day on every hand. Temptations are so powerful these days. But the good news of the gospel is so good today to know that there is a way out. Help us to depend on you, to trust in you, to allow your love to flow through us and over us. We want Jesus to be all to be all and all in all, the thrill of our souls today. Bless each one of us. Bless the Downers Grove Church, the congregation here. May the power of your spirit fill this place. May the ministry they accomplish be done to glorify your name. May everyone be faithful to you and be ready for your kingdom. What a wonderful time that will be. Separation here on earth is just for a brief moment. We know that. And in the kingdom, we would have eternity to renew fellowship relationships and loving and worshiping with each other. Keep us faithful, Lord. We long for that day when you will come. Let it be quickly, but in the meantime, we would fall in your arms, your arms of love, and be blessed, be victorious, be strengthened, and be ready and prepared to meet you. In the wonderful and strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.